Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. COVID-19 is currently the topic of much discussion in our world. However, you're not likely to hear much mention of this in our episode today, and that's because it was not on the global radar when we sat down with Reverend Jared Driggers and his wife, Gina. Jared and Gina both grew up in the Indiana district and met on a youth on missions trip to Trinidad and Tobago. Jared graduated from Indiana Bible College and Gina graduated from University of Indiana with a bachelor's degree in nursing. They married in 2012 and served locally as youth pastors at their home church, but their heart for missions never left. I know you're going to enjoy getting to know the Driggers in this interview. They have recently been appointed as missionaries to Spain. Of course, Spain has seen the effects of COVID-19. In an article released on March 17th, Fox News reported that the death count in Spain had doubled in a 24-hour period. There are long-lasting effects of this virus, but of course we know that God is greater. So what I'm saying is please continue to pray for those affected both in Spain and around the world. Pray for all the missionaries doing the work to spread the gospel of Christ in uncertain times and enjoy this interview with newly appointed missionaries to Spain, Reverend Jared Driggers and his wife, Gina. So we are here with Jared and Gina Driggers, and they've just gotten off the field after being associate missionaries in Spain for the last two years. Is that right, guys? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Uh, You've just met the general board, and you're seeking intermediate missionary status to return to Spain under the direction of Reverend Nathan Herod and the uh, regional director there, Reverend uh, Tuttle. Is that correct? That's correct. So you both are from Indiana, correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. And you, uh, Jared, are an IBC alum. And Gina, what's, what's your story? Why didn't you come to IBC? I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I pursued nursing school. Okay. And I received my bachelor's degree in nursing and was a practicing RN until we left for Spain. So about five five or six years of practicing. Okay. So y'all have been married for how long? Seven. Seven years. Seven years. Now, I have a story that sticks out in my memory. Oh, no. Uh, were y'all married on the way to Dallas and Amy's wedding? We were just married. Is that right? We've been married for a little while, but it was, it was early on. Yeah. So for our listeners, here's what happened. My wife and I are traveling to Alabama. I think so. And we saw a car that was on fire on the side of the road. That's right. And you and I, Jared, you came to IBC, but that was, what years did you come? Uh, 2010 through 2012. Okay, so 10 to 12. I was already on staff uh, at IBC, so we knew of each other. Sure. And we were going down there for, my wife and I were going down there for uh, Dallas and Amy's wedding. We see this car on fire, and I'm like, 
I think they're Pentecostal. And my wife was like, that's Jared Driggers and his wife. And I was like, babe, we got to turn around. And she's like, well, there's not an exit for a long time. And, I'm and like, I, I actually called you. You had just called me. And I said, I think we just passed you. And so we turned around and were driving back again on the shoulder against traffic. And we rolled up and everyone was safe, thankfully. But that was a really crazy uh, accident. And that's the first time I ever remember meeting your wife. I don't remember. I, I mean, I know we had interactions prior to. Uh, and here y'all are seven years That was the first day later. that we all bonded. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> bro, we were all in the Envoy, and there was plenty of room, but we had your luggage, my luggage, both my boys. Uh, we didn't have any choice but to bond. We were we were close that day. I remember calling you because I was trying to think, who else is headed to Alabama from Indiana? Yeah. And I knew you were in the wedding, so I was like, let's, let's call Brother Henderson. Yep. Thankfully, you came to the rescue. We were there. We were just glad to help y'all. Um, I can't even imagine how crazy that must have been as kind of those newlyweds. And uh, you know, it was under a year, wasn't it, that y'all had been married? Maybe it was just a year or two. It was. It was yeah, it was early. I learned very quickly that he can do well in chaos and danger, and I do not. So well, <laughs> We were sitting in the car, and I said, babe, the car's on fire. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> Please exit the vehicle. It was like a pre-recorded <laughs> message. My door wouldn't open, so I had to cry out her side. Oh, wow. Wow. So you just met the General Missions Board. Yes, the it's Global awesome. Missions Administrative Committee. The Global Missions. Which includes the regional directors okay. and the pastoral council board or something like that. So what is that, like 30 people or so? About 35 people in that room. So what was that like? That was overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone tells you not to be nervous. And so we got up that morning and Jared is nervous. And I, I told him, I said, wait, I thought we weren't going to be nervous. Now we're changing the plan. Now we're going to be nervous. And we were very nervous. Well, you walk in this room and there's... Are we, are we supposed to be giving away trade secrets? of? The... I think it's okay. Okay. But we walk in this room and there's 35 elders, men on the board, pastors that you respect, the regional directors... Brother Howe, Brother Sladen, honorary board members, Brother Rodenbush, you know, different men there. And they're all sitting behind tables with your application. Yeah. Whole life in front of you, credit, history, everything. And they sit you not behind a table, they sit you in two chairs. In the middle of all of them. In the middle of all of them. Well, good deal. Yeah. It was overwhelming. So... <laughs> So he wasn't nervous when the car caught on fire. Babe, the car's on fire. Please get out. <laughs> but uh, so talk to me a little bit about kind of the calling to Spain, because, again, born and raised in Indiana. And so how does this calling to Spain kind of develop in y'all's life? It was a long process. We met each other when we were 16 on a youth on missions trip to Trinidad and Tobago. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that either of us felt a for sure call to missions, but we had an interest in it, and we went on that trip and um, eventually became very good friends and married and all of that jazz. Years and later, she didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can relate to that sentiment. Uh, <laughs> 
my wife loves me now and couldn't stand me then. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. So it was a seed that was planted when we were teenagers, but in terms of missions, yeah. Yes, yes. Sure. Um, and then when we got married, we served as youth leaders um, in my home church in Bourbon, Indiana. She was a youth leader before I even came to Bourbon. Okay. She was already a youth leader there. She was in ministry, and um, and then I I came to help. To, to show her the way more perfectly. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we we served in that role, but was upfront with our our pastor um, from the beginning, uh, letting him know that we both felt that eventually at some point we would want to try and experience AIM. Not sure if it would turn into something long term, or um, if it was just something we needed to take a step. And our pastor, he was always very supportive of missionaries. In fact, anytime we actually stay there quite often, but the evangelist quarter is there. If there's missionaries just driving through the state, he puts them up there. And cool. um, so we were expected to be fully on board in the ministry there. And when we were, we learned a great deal from Brother Cottrell. He was a wonderful pastor. Uh, we love him very much and uh, still a tremendous voice in our life. But um, when it came time to go, he was feeling the same thing. And uh, we were always very submitted to him. But when it came time to go, he gave us his blessing. And it, yeah. was, it was good. And so you served in Spain as associate missionaries. Yes. Maybe you can answer a question that I know I have. Perhaps our listenership has. What is an associate missionary? So you start out in missions. You start out on the AIM program, which is associate missions. It's a very minimal budget. Um, you raise it on your own. And then um, you're considered, for tax purposes, an independent contractor. You are not an employee of the church organization. They do not organize you a deputation schedule. Um, after serving on the field for a year on the, as an aimer, you can reapply as an associate missionary. Okay. Associate missionary is very similar to an aimer. It's under the short-term missions umbrella. You're still considered, for tax purposes, an independent contractor. Um, however, you can raise a little bit of a higher budget. Okay. Also, um, you can, uh, if there are missionaries who are sent back to the field early and they do not fulfill their deputation schedule, you're allowed to deputize up to three months using that leftover schedule. Okay. To raise more funds to stay on the field. And so those are basically the central differences. You have to serve typically uh, for nine months as associate missionary before being able to apply for full appointment or intermediate missionary status where you become an employee of the organization. Um, Which is what y'all just did, correct? We just applied just for, apply that. for that. We just met for the board. Okay. Any decision will be ratified in March. Okay. Very cool. So what what does Spain help me with the pronunciation of the city y'all are in? Uh, we base out of Barcelona. We live okay. in Barcelona. That's where we well, were. Barcelona is easy to say. Yes, uh, but the the city where we planted the church at, started in a home group there, is El Prat de Llobregat, and it that mean, was the one I was asking about. And it, <laughs> the river between Barcelona and the city is called Llobregat, and El Prat is Catalan, which is in Spanish is El Prado, which in English is the pasture. Okay. So the city literally means the pasture of the river Llobregat. Okay. But there's about sixty five thousand people that live in that pasture. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so you're establishing a local congregation. What what does that look like uh, on any given day? What what does establishing a local congregation look like as an associate missionary? 
in El Prate. El Prat. El Prat. I'm trying to make it to El Prat. Simple. You got what it. was the last part? De Yobregat. De Yobregat? Yes. Okay. You speak Catalan proficiently. Oh, thanks, man. I've been taking <laughs> lessons for about 40 seconds. <laughs> so in Spain, they follow um, or they put a heavy emphasis on home groups, on cell groups. Okay. And so that is how we started the church in El Prat. Um, they had an established home group of a, of a woman who went to church in Barcelona but lived in El Prat. And she had had the group for two or three years before we came. And so we just joined that home group and tried to expand it um, with evangelism. And Jared would begin teaching the lessons. And so those home group meetings were very short. They're an hour. You don't go over. You have a couple songs. You have a lesson. And then it's just fellowship. The emphasis is on um, fellowship with neighbors and fellowship Mm -hmm. with people in the community. And so we got to the point where that house group had about 15, 20 people, which is a lot for a house. And uh, yep. um, so we, that kind of forced us to know it was time to rent a location on Sundays to start okay. having church services. And there's always different models. Some people, you know, they'll have two or three groups before uh, finding a location or whatever. And, uh, but we found the need. The Spirit of God would move in that home uh, very powerfully occasionally. Uh, but there are times where you want the liberty to minister as you would in a church service. Mm-hmm. And so we knew if we were going to see a church there that the people in this group had to realize this is more than a small group, but this church, the city needs a church as well. Yeah. And so we began ringing a building on Sunday mornings and having services. So is that like, uh, like in America, they do something like that at a, a community center or something like that? Is it like that in Spain? or Well, we rent whatever is available. And so in the okay. Barcelona metropolitan area, uh, it's very expensive, and so, but we found a decently priced place. We actually have a very good relationship with the owners. It's a building that was already soundproof, and it was a community event center kind of. Okay. Not very large. They had a kids' play park in there, but there was about half of the building where you could set up chairs. They had chairs and benches, and uh, they had a TV already placed that we could use for projection. Cool. And so the owners there actually allow us to leave our music stands and keyboard and everything there. Oh, wow. And so it, uh, it was worked out very conveniently. Yeah, that's a big help. That's a big help. Well, a couple of questions here, and and I want to circle back around to kind of some of the things that you, uh, let's, let's say, sacrificed or uh, gave up to, to make it over to the... But how can people connect with you right now? Uh, you're on... Are you, you, you will start pending ratification in March, your deputation schedule. Is there a place on social media that we can find you or keep up with you? What's what's the status there? Um, on Facebook, we have a page. It's aim to spain with the number two. Okay. And then backslash Driggers Family is on Facebook. So okay. aim to spain Driggers Family. Two separate pages or the same? The same page. Aim to, okay, aim to spain Driggers Family. Correct. Same page. Okay, cool. And then um, that's how you, that's the easiest way to connect with us. Yeah, very cool. And so, do you do you like send out newsletters weekly, monthly? We s- weekly. we we send out on our social media if there's an event or anything. We usually cool. post about that, but we also have a monthly newsletter cool. that we publish every month. In the two and a half years, we've only missed one month. Okay. And so uh, we also email that stat. to our supporters as well. So here's here's a question. Uh, 
I, uh, I would imagine that you've already gone through a deputation schedule as an associate missionary. Yeah, that was, yes, that f- timing felt a little different. We had to schedule that ourselves okay, because we did not have our interview until we were already back on the st- in the States to raise funds. Okay. And so we could have applied for that, but we weren't approved until we had come back. Okay. And so it was a weird interval in timing. So, so do you, and perhaps this is not a real great question because you're still kind of working through all the logistics of it, but like for me, it would be be a little bit uncomfortable to say like, hey, help support. Is that is it still uncomfortable or uh Yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier now than when I started out doing this. Yeah. Sure. Uh when I started out doing this, it was one of the most difficult hurdles that I had to overcome. Mm-hmm. I was raised with a strong work ethic. Um I've had a job since I was young. And uh, even when I was a teenager, I worked for my dad, body shop and different things. And so um, I was used to having my own job, my own income, and relying on myself quite a bit. Sure. But when you go on the mission, you kind of have to get over that and realize I'm not relying on myself anymore. There's no way I won't be able to accomplish what God is calling us to do without the help of the body. Yeah. And so I remember struggling with the idea of asking for partners and supporters and my pastor wife, sweet lady, Sister Cottrell, she looked deep in my soul and she said, Jared, that's your pride. <laughs> as simple as that. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, I was fixing it. Like, I was already prepping in my brain. That's got to be a really humbling experience to realize that the work God has called you to is contingent on... I mean, frankly, someone else and them picking up the burden that you have for Spain. And I've been around y'all a little bit, and I can feel the burden for the people of Spain just by being around y'all. So that heartbeat bleeds through. Uh, but, wow. It was difficult, and it it, it, it it was humbling. But we had somebody tell us one time, said, you know, you're not just asking people to support your ministry, but you're representing 47 million souls. And so we have to look at it that way, that this is necessary, it's part of it, if we're going to reach the people that God is calling us to reach as a body. And so some people go, some people sin, some people pray, whatever it is, but we're working together as a body. It's not just me there, but there are prayers going behind us and before us and finances that are supporting us, and it's it's really a movement of the body is what Global Missions is. And so that helped change my mindset a little bit. So was it easier? I would imagine you didn't keep whatever possessions you had. Maybe, I mean, a few sentimental things, but like furniture, vehicles, those types of things. Uh, as I understand it, there was a motorcycle that got foregone in the mix of all of these things. Was it <laughs> was it easier to do that or to realize, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to ask for people to help? Which one is easier? I know what my... I'm going to go ahead and answer what... If God called me to missions, it would be easier for me to sell everything I have and leave than to ask someone to help support you're you're exactly right. I, I was a little attached to the motorcycle, but 
I wasn't How extremely attached. Were you to the motorcycle? Did I you... enjoyed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so you know, but I wasn't extremely attached to. It. I was like, you know, I can buy another one someday. Yeah. And uh, but you're right. The the asking for support was something I had to learn and allow the Lord to work out in my spirit. So uh, one other question here, um, maybe two. What has been the greatest challenge that we'll do this individually and then we can kind of talk about it. But Gina, what's the greatest challenge that you have faced uh, in ministry, either Spain or prior to going to Spain? So I, I like to do everything. I like to say yes to whatever opportunities are there. Um, hence going to Spain. But once you said, once we said yes to that, um, it was very difficult to realize that I really couldn't do anything when we first got there. Um, so we had to search for apartments. It's very hard to find apartments in real estate in Barcelona. So our first month there, we did not have an apartment. So we were living with various people, um, staying in Airbnbs. And so we, we make this huge jump. We get to Spain. And as a woman, I don't have a home. Uh, going to the grocery store is a challenge to find anything that I need. Nothing looks like it used to look. Yeah. Um, so I can't take care of my home. I can't cook for myself or my husband hardly. And then we go to the church service. And um, as my husband had mentioned, I was a youth leader before we got married. And then we did youth ministry, always doing ministry. Whatever needed to be done, we were doing it. And we get to Spain. And I realize I can't even communicate with the people. I can't pray for anyone when the Lord puts something on my heart. I can't give them an encouraging word. I can't communicate. I thought I had a decent grasp of Spanish. And Mm -hmm. then when you're over there and immersed in it and they're speaking so fast to you and you can't keep up, you realize you don't, you don't know it as well as you thought you did. And so it just opened my eyes to how much I had to rely on the Lord and also work at things. You have to work on, you know, the language when you're in a new field and you have to be open to learning from people and making those connections because you need people when you're there and you have no one else and nothing yeah. else. You have to make those connections with the church. And that was probably the hardest thing because I went from doing everything and feeling comfortable in everything that I was doing ministry-wise to all of a sudden I don't even feel like I can pray for someone because I don't have the words to express to them. And... Um, it went through, it was a couple of weeks that I feel, felt like, and I told my husband this several times, I didn't even feel like I could talk to anyone. And so I literally felt so alone because there was no one to talk to. Um, and even he was experiencing different things than I was. And so that isolation opened my eyes to how much I needed the Lord to guide my steps and open my eyes and give me peace doing what he wanted me to do, but it didn't look like what I thought it would. What about you, Jared? Well, I can think of a lot of challenges, but uh, the one that comes to my mind most immediately is when you're, this happens in any type of ministry, probably not just in missions, uh, but it might be amplified a little bit in missions, if you will. You are placed in situations where you have to rely on the Spirit of God to do a work beyond what your talents, abilities, or strengths are. And so one of the greatest challenges in that is is not allowing your insecurities to limit what God wants to do. I know that sounds kind of vague, but that's... No, no, talk to me more. I'm interested. The best way I can describe it. And so 
we get to Spain. I'm used to preaching. I'm used to teaching. But we get there, and Spain is entering great revival. There's battles to face, but Spain, Europe is starting to experience great revival. And, and, and so there's already some ministry established. And you come in, and you're all of a sudden, you're the new guy on the block. And you don't speak the language as well as you'd like to. And so you can imagine that. And so in missions, you're relying on the support of others. And the Bible says that we have to make full proof of our ministry. You even feel more so when you're relying on the support of others. Thankfully, during my time at IBC, I was able to grasp some things are taught, some things are caught, but there are great faculty here. And I remember things being said, like when Brother Rodenbush would always say, God honors motive. He always said that. And that stuck with me. And so in my mind, I was always praying. I was always trying to wrestle with the Lord, with, with my spirit, if you will, to make sure my motives are and were right. There's times, you know, we're teaching a Bible study, and I'm thinking, I need this person to be baptized, to decide to say yes, so I can go on my newsletter. And immediately you feel a check in the Holy Ghost. No, it's because heaven or hell depends on this. That's one of the challenges that you face. And so you're constantly, I'm just being transparent, you're constantly, no, that's, yeah. and, and so you're, you're, you're constantly battling and you're saying, God placed me here, not I'm serving him. I'm not serving anybody else. There are people that are supporting me, but I'm not serving them. I'm serving him because there's eternity in the balance. And, and so that's one of, the, you know, and then also God calls you to do things beyond your abilities and you can't allow your insecurities, whatever they may be, to prevent you from taking steps in faith, to prevent you from taking steps and bettering in yourself, from uh facing things that you need to face so you can accomplish what he's called you to do. You can't allow that to happen. Yeah. And so I don't, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, one question for kind of the both of you here as we, as we finalize this, uh, what are your hopes for the next term, uh, your next missionary term when you're in Spain? So we feel um, we, Spain right now, um, there's a great spirit of unity amongst the ministry there right now. Um, we've overcome great things. The revival's moving forward. Um, but specifically where we call, feel called to is in the era where we were working at, mm-hmm. there in northeastern Spain in Catalonia. Uh, there are other areas that are unchurched as well. We don't know what all the future holds for our ministry there, but immediately and specifically what we feel right now is there... In the metropolitan area of Barcelona, there's about 4.7 million people. And there's about five, six cities to the south of Spain. Uh, As far as we know of, none of them have a work that preaches Jesus' name baptism, that preaches the oneness of God, that preaches Acts 238, plan of salvation. And El Prat, where we are at, is the first one of those cities. Wow. And so we're working down that direction. Our goal is to see churches planted in, in those cities 
but we also are involved in the institute, the Bible Institute there in Barcelona. Okay. Uh, it's a night school right now. They offer classes at night. Students come four days a week, and they study after getting off work many times from 8 to 11 p.m. at night. Wow. And some of them come in from, in the train from outside of Barcelona and have to go back home for about 45 minutes an hour. Wow. And so um, we really want to see that institute developed, uh, should the Lord permit that. Um, because right now there are a couple cities, there's areas where there's groups who need pastors. And so the Lord's one prayer request, Brother Sleba used to always say, is uh, that the Lord used to pray this, is that pray that the Lord of the harvest send forth laborers into his harvest. Yeah. And so we need to train and we need to equip leaders. And that's an overwhelming task because I've been training myself and equipping myself for the last two years as well, but it has to be done. Yeah. And so we feel kind of a dual need there, if you will. My wife has a burden for the young adults of Spain. And uh, there's so much work to be done, really. Mm -hmm. We will not be short on work. The, the challenge would be, would be into focus and specifically what God wants us to do. Yeah. So. I, th I think I'm going to ask one more question. I know I've said that like five times, and this one's not I'm going to turn the, the questions off here. How do you balance what God wants you to do versus what needs to be done? Does that question make sense? We just talked about downstairs in the class that we were visiting. Okay. That so you're ready to answer. I can't wait to hear it. That probably should have been what we talked about as our biggest challenge in, in ministry was, was balancing that. Because, like Jared just said, there are so many things to do. Yeah. You, could, you could pick anything. You could fill your day every day for months just doing the things that need to be done yeah. um, in the church, Bible studies, or whatever it may be. But we we learned that you could keep yourself busy and do all those things and miss the one maybe interaction that God wanted mm -hmm. you to have that day with someone that nobody else is coming in contact with. And maybe he wanted you to go to that coffee shop at that exact time. But you couldn't because you were busy running here and running there, doing yeah. all the things you thought you should do. Yeah. But it's not the the divine appointment that he wanted for you that day. And so we've had to learn to rely and we were advised very early in our time in Spain of wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, my day is yours. What do you want me to do? Yeah. And, and if you don't feel a direction at that moment, then start doing the things you know to do, making those phone calls, setting up that Bible study, working on, you know, the, the preaching for whatever day, doing those things, you know, but then when you feel that, that pushing of him saying, okay, now I need you to do yeah. this, you're willing at any point to do to do that yeah it's, it's that's very much the case and i remember early on uh we were dealing with so many new things uh struggling to find our niche there in ministry if you will and i remember always running when i was here in the states we both worked full-time jobs yeah. i both had decent jobs and we both were in the ministry and so we were always tired if you will we were always running either working or at the church and I remember getting to Spain, and I'm in that mindset. Yeah, I have to be running. That go, 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 go. go. Yeah. And when we first got there, Brother Herod told us very quickly, he says, the workload many times is feast or famine. You'll have days where you cannot get everything done, and then you'll have days you're, 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 you're planning, you're, you're seeking the Lord, you're spending time with your family, you're, you're, you're putting things together and whatnot. And, um, but I struggled with that mentally for several months. And I'm thinking, am I doing enough? And my wife would remind me, this isn't your church, this is the Lord's church. 
She would say things like that. It's a very good wife, yeah. the best. And so we, I would be dealing. I was struggling mentally, to be honest. And I remember one time our supervising missionary. I, we love them so much, the Harris. But he he invited my wife and I out to breakfast one morning, and I think the Lord put it on his heart, because we're out to breakfast and he starts talking to us about seeking the Lord's will for every day and starts like, just talking about stuff and it's like he was reading my mail. Yeah. To be honest with you. And and so and he had hadn't he had asked me to listen to a sermon when I first got to the field. And I didn't do it to months later. I wish I would have done it at the very beginning. I was kind of still in my IBC student phase, if you will, where I was turning in assignments late. Yeah. Since then I've learned better discipline. I wish I would have learned it better as a student. So if there's any students <laughs> listening, establish your discipline while you're at yeah. Bible college instead of when you're in the ministry. And and so he he asked me to listen to the sermon. And I don't remember the man who preached it. I don't I just remember the sermon was whom did Jesus serve? And basically the point of this sermon was this is there are always needs. And you can spend all your ministry and all your life ministering to needs and never get to the will of God. Because we can't meet everyone's needs. There's only one person that can do that. Yeah. And his point was, Jesus came here, and Jesus would be healing the sick. He would be teaching, and all of a sudden get up and go to the next town, the next city. Yeah. And there's still people with needs there, perhaps. But Jesus, when they asked him what he was doing, he says, I've come to do the will of my Father. He didn't just come to meet needs, to serve needs. Yes, he did that, but he came to do the will of his Father. And so we tried to adopt that mindset. There will always be needs. Yeah. We will never get to the end of them. But if we can do the will of our Father every day, yeah. maybe we can make some progress. Yeah. I remember a sermon that my uh, pastor, when I was growing up, he preached. And it was, it may have even just been like a Wednesday night Bible study lesson. And he said... Uh, when you wake up in the morning, pray for two things, a sensitivity to God's spirit and a sensitivity to the spirit of those around you. And I was like, oh, man, that just makes sense. Simplifies it. Yeah, absolutely. It simplifies it. Well, thank you all so much for your time. And uh, we're, we're for sure praying uh, that deputation goes well, that there are no car fires on deputation. <laughs> I'll call you Jesus if there are. <laughs> exactly right. If there are, you give me a ring. We'll do our best to help you out. Uh, but again, Jared and Gina Driggers, Aim to Spain, Driggers family on Facebook. Easiest way to connect with them. Be on the lookout. They're going to do incredible things for the kingdom of God in Spain. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good news for all you listeners out there who would love to continue your education with Indiana Bible College, but simply can't make the trip to Indianapolis to do so. The Indiana Bible College Distance Learning Program is now accepting students who would like to continue their education, complete a degree, or just get an advanced certificate of studies. For more information on this and more about the Distance Learning Program, visit www.ibcdl.com.